these things pop up you know we we reveal where these sort of struggles are either with um you know our dream life you know when we dream about things you know that's where the sort of unconscious comes to the surface or perhaps you know with a slip of the tongue or a sort of bad joke and it emerges it emerges and the more we become aware the greater possibility it is that we can address those things Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of Dr. Susan Khan. Uh, good morning to you, Susan. Good morning. Nice to see you, Julian. Good to see you too. Uh, you are a business psychologist, consultant, coach, and mediator, and also the author of the book, Bounce Back, How to Fail Fast and Be Resilient at Work. And today, we're going to be exploring the unconscious selves at work and looking at beneath the surface of us and look at those sort of defense mechanisms that perhaps we bring to work. Uh, but before we get into that conversation, Susan, I'd like to ask you, what do you love about what you do? Oh, it's such a nice question to be asked. And um, I think that the thing that I love best is just getting the inside story with my clients, with organizations, being able to create a space that's safe enough for people to talk about what really matters to them. And I think that kind of privilege of being being able to listen deeply to somebody um, is one that I never take for granted. It's a it's a it's a wonderful way to create connections with all kinds of different people that mm. I might not have an opportunity to encounter if I wasn't doing this sort of work. There's a lot of curiosity in that, isn't there? Being curious about people and interested in people, and it's interesting. I think it's a I think it's a lost art, that curiosity. We had it as a child, yeah. but now it seems to be lost, doesn't it? Yeah, and the fact that we're always sort of surprised. We might have an impression of how things are going to be. And then you go in um, and sort of be on set with, with, you know, without curiosity, you know, with um, without expectation. And then, you know, sometimes what we discover is really, you know, a, an absolute kind of um, opposite of what we might have expected. So leaving those kind of expectations behind is always a good start. And I hope, well, I'm curious this morning because we're, we're talking about um, this mm. sort of unconscious self. And I'd like you to, um, I guess, define uh, the unconscious self and, and why it's important to explore it in the context of work. Mm. Well, of course, we have, you know, Sigmund Freud to thank for bringing the unconscious to to life for many of us. Um, the idea that with a sort of typical iceberg representation, we only usually reveal to the world a fragment of who we are. There's so much buried below the surface that might be our sort of our pain, our trauma, our motivation, the reasons we have emerged as we emerge. And um, and it matters because, you know, when you're working with leaders, when you're working with teams, you need to be able to understand in the workplace um, what 
the whole person is, you know, what they're bringing to their decision making, to the way they lead, to the way they manage. And um, and often it's as much about helping the individual um, understand what might be going on in their unconscious as it is understanding what might be going on below the surface in organisations. Um, so what's presented is often not necessarily what's going on. And how can we know what, what's showing up, what's presenting mm. is our unconscious self? How, how do we know that? How can we sort of detect that? What are the sort of things that we can yeah. do to sort of know that? It's not straightforward because um, we spend a lot of our lives protecting ourselves from pain and from anxiety. And so the unconscious is the place where we bury those things that are quite difficult for us to confront. Hmm. So to actually bring um, the things that are in the unconscious to the fore, we need to work pretty hard. You know, we need to pay attention to patterns of behavior to um, perhaps question some of the decisions we make, perhaps to um, think about our dreams and the slips of the tongue and um, the things that people say to us that maybe um, hurt us the most to question what might really be happening. Um, So um, it's something as an observer in an organization, one can have an insight into in, in a way that you can't necessarily when you're in the midst of everything that's happening. So you might, for example, go into an organization and you might hear words such as, um, you know, we really care for our organization. Uh, we really care for our people. We don't want them to work too hard. We want them to have a very balanced life. We want them to be able to spend time with their family. So that's the narrative. And yet the reality might be that there's a working culture of 7 to 10 p.m. And that, you know, people are too scared to talk about hospital appointments or going to a kid's um, sports day or plaything because what's said and what's actually acted out is quite different. And there, uh, within an organizational context, it might be that um, what really matters is absolute commitment to the organization and less of a commitment to what matters to the individual so how do we take that disconnect that you've just said there where you have that one saying one thing and doing another um how do we create a i suppose a a culture or an environment where we can happily explore our unconscious selves because we're going to talk a bit more about why that's really beneficial but you know how can we sort of create that and Well, it takes quite a lot of courage. I mean, we've said sort of curiosity is something that's important. And an an individual and organization needs to be able to consider what might what else might be going on. Um, The idea that, you know, the emotions that we experience are not just about us, but are also connected to what else might be going on in the system, in, in the in the way an organization works. So um, paying attention, having the sort of psychological safety where you can sort of question this dissonance between what's said and what's done, being able to say, you know, that you feel um, 
oh, unable to speak up perhaps, or that you disagree with an action that's been taken. Those sort of um, opportunities to question what's going on. Um, but really to bring the unconscious to the fore, you need to be able to take a long, hard look at what's going on and be able to consider that um, everything isn't absolutely black and white, that there is this nuance, that there are these motivations and desires and um, difficulties that exist there as well. And that that is all part of what makes up the organization, not just the glossy bit that you present Mm. to clients and to the fore. So it really matters, isn't it? Knowing our unconscious self, isn't it? And sort of going a bit deeper and and say going below the the iceberg uh, sort of analogy. And so, well, firstly, what ways can we do that? What are sort of sort of pragmatic ways or practical ways yeah. that can help us unlock that? And and how how does that help us become better leaders? I mean, it sounds really obvious knowing ourselves, but how does that really make us better as a, as a leader mm-hmm. in terms of how we interact with people and how we lead people and how we cast vision and everything else? Mm. Um. I think I would just like to say that it is really difficult to um, tap into the unconscious. The reason why it's unconscious is because um, it's it's protecting us. It's below the surface because it's been buried there because of, as we've said, anxiety or trauma. So you need to, first of all, attend to it, to look at your patterns of behavior. So let me give you an example of a leader who perhaps feels that they are a very good listener and a very um, entertaining and um, supportive individual. And that's their self-definition. And yet everybody around them is terrified of this um, individual. They're scared of what might come out of their mouth. They feel they have to laugh at their jokes because they're you know, in a prominent position of power. And this leader is, um, you know, going through their um, their working life, feeling that they're, you know, doing everything just right, that they are, you know, fulfilling every kind of expectation as a leader. But in order to change, um, that leader needs to perhaps stop talking and really listen to the people around them to actually have the courage to say, you know, I like to think of myself as a good communicator how do you experience me? And to make it uh, possible for people to speak up without being reprimanded or penalized or, um, you know, given some kind of uh, negative kind of treatment. And that is something that, you know, even as I'm describing it to you, there's a sense of it's quite difficult to do. So, I mean, Mm. we both work as coaches to actually create the safety where we can take a look at ourselves and say, hmm, yeah, I do that. I don't necessarily like the fact that I do that, but let's see if I can think about how I might be able to change it. So so one way is to, you know, reflect, to become more self-aware, um, not just through your own internal interrogation, but also asking those around you, you know, I don't think you should ask everybody because there's all kinds of emotions around, you know, envy and, you know, uh, destruction and sort of a wish to see people kind of crumble, but to be able to 
listen with um, without judgment um, as much as possible can help you then to become a better leader. I mean, that, that example where you've got that leader thinking that they are a great listener and mm-hmm. entertaining and, and yet they're not and uh, people yeah. are frightened them. I mean, that's a, a massive dissonance in terms of that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we get, I mean, obviously that goes down to self-awareness and, and, and knowing how we impact other people. You know, when we walk into a room, how people react, when we say things, how people respond to, to our presence, I guess. Why do people get, obviously it's, what is the what's the blocker that people have that such difference in their own opinion of who they are who or who they would like to be versus who they are when they interact with people what do you think gets in the way of that mm. it's such a it's such a complex area um we're all the product of you know our first groups our families our first experiences our own kind of particular ways of experiencing the world and um you and I talking together might have a sense of who we are, um, but we may overlook the fact that because of our age or our ethnicity or the way we speak or the way we're dressed or our education or the language we use, we are um, creating uh, an image that might be at odds with how we see ourselves. So, um, So there's this there's this work to be done, not just in, you know, understanding ourselves, but recognizing that the self we present to the world is not necessarily going to be um, received in the way we might imagine. So, um, you know, when I um, work with different age groups, there's a very different um, response to who I am than when I'm working with somebody who is perhaps sort of uh, relatable to me in terms of age. Teenagers, for example, have got um, a very different um, understanding and experience of somebody who's relating to someone of my generation than they would of somebody who is, you know, uh, cooler, younger, mm. with a different language, with a different way of presenting. So we, we don't see ourselves as others see us. And, um, and that can be... Um, you know, helpful sometimes, but it is good for us to be aware that that it's not a universal given that we are received as we imagine we are. And, and do you think there's um when we realise who we are in terms of our self awareness and where we're at? Do you think that can have a negative impact on us in terms of the reality that is before that projection of what we'd like to be a sense of this is my my future self in terms of my development where I'd like to go to is sort of the, the desire um if we get too aware of we're right here does that tend to sort of diminish our motivation and our sense to to grow and perhaps make us feel a bit lacking in self-confidence self-belief Hmm. Yeah, of course, it can feel quite sort of diminishing if we imagine ourselves to be, um, for example, particularly informed about the way we sort of uh, go about our work, um, be that in terms of communicating or um, in terms of, you know, identifying sort of core issues going on. Um, you know, it can be difficult, but I think that that sort of sense of being both somebody who has 
power and strength and capacity to make a difference, but also knowing that we're really insignificant, that actually we really <laughs> don't matter that much. You know, that that's something quite good to hold on both sides. Um, but, um, you know, we, we will be, you know, f- for some people, um, you can't get away from the fact that um, I am a white, cisgendered, cisgendered, middle-aged woman who speaks a certain way, who acts a certain way. So by the very nature of who I am, I will have um, an easy access into some groups and a more challenging access into others. Assumptions will be made about me because of who I am. And I think that um, being aware of that is good. It doesn't necessarily mean that you change that uh, reality, Mm. but I think just being aware of that is a really helpful thing to um, acknowledge. And so we we mentioned before about sort of defense mechanisms and how Mm -hmm. that can really come into the, the workplace. And I guess this stems out of this protecting our unconscious selves and, and, just tell me a bit more about that and how that might play out in in the work in the context of work. Yeah, I think defense mechanisms are a really interesting area, and we are all um, subject to engaging with the different defense mechanisms at multiple times during the day. So it's not something you become aware of and then you stop, you know, occupying. So defense mechanisms were, you know, first identified by Freud. The most prominent one is you know, repression, the idea that we push uh, push away those things that are too painful to deal with, um, that we hide them. And they were picked up in a sort of very, um, you know, similar way, but in a more expansive way by his daughter, um, Anna Freud, who wrote The Ego and Mechanisms of Defense. And she identified different ways in which we operate in order to protect ourselves and so it might be repression it might be denial it might be intellectualization it might be uh, sublimation and I can tell you a bit more about those different um, uh, defense mechanisms but essentially we all have a toolkit of things we use to protect ourselves and they provide they prove a, to be a very good service to our sense of safety and well-being um but it can be destructive at work <laughs> so if let me give you an example of um perhaps denial so um that's one of the defense mechanisms where we simply don't face up to a truth So if we are um, engaging in a particular career path where we want to progress to another kind of level and um, we're constantly being pushed back, it's constantly not happening, um, rather than thinking, "Mm -hmm, maybe I should take another direction, maybe this isn't right for my particular skill set. Instead, we say something like... um, oh, they didn't like me, they didn't want a person like me, or um, uh, maybe I didn't want that job, actually, or, you know, perhaps there was, you know, something else going on. There was a, there's a kind of a failure to engage in the reality and the truth. So that can be very limiting, you know, that sort of, you know, operation of denial. Um, But um, perhaps something which is 
also very recognizable is this idea of displacement. I don't know whether you're, you're familiar with this notion that um, we may have a really bad day at work. Um, you know, clients really difficult. Um, our colleagues are unsupportive. Something we've worked really hard on hasn't come to fruition. And we take it really well at work. We, we, occupy a very sort of calm sense of acceptance we're very professional we we acknowledge that we're maybe a little bit disappointed but we accept it we put the key in the door at home we walk in and we burst into an angry outburst at the, kick, kick the cat on the way in or the cat or whatever's gone on that that's where and that is sort of where we can't process the emotion in the workplace and so we take it out in um in our home environment and and is that, is, that a, is that a safety thing in terms of we're feeling safe and we can't do that at work and so if you had a workplace that was incredibly psychologically safe would you be feel you could do it there and sort of rant a bit and shout a bit and which is okay to have that emotion yeah. rather than taking it home do you think that would create a, a, a better environment for that possibly possibly but it depends how ingrained that particular defense mechanism is in us because if we are attached very much to this idea of pre- presenting a perfect self at work then even if we're in an environment that is uh, psychologically safe it might still take a lot of work to get us to actually admit that we've failed or we've done something wrong you know it's it's a it's it's a tough it's a tough kind of challenge um, but you know, one of one of the um, useful ways in which we can become aware of things like that is, um, you know, if you could imagine a, a a sort of social environment where perhaps partners come together with work colleagues, and somebody might be saying, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm just very lucky. I just don't get stressed. You know, I just." Um, and the work colleagues are saying, "Yeah, no, it's really interesting. They're really calm at work." And then the partner says calm are you kidding are you kidding I always know when there's been a bad day at work you know so it's sort of these things pop up you know we we reveal where these sort of struggles are either with um you know our dream life you know when we dream about things you know that's where the sort of unconscious comes to the surface or perhaps you know with a slip of the tongue or a sort of bad joke and it emerges it emerges. And the more we become aware, the greater possibility it is that we can address those things. I was going to ask, if, if it's a defence mechanism, what is wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's okay, obviously protecting ourselves. But but so what, what is wrong with it? And why should mm. we deal with that? Why should we be getting more aware of this and, and try to deal with it? And how can we deal with it? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. You know, defense mechanisms are very important for us all. They serve a purpose. But um, perhaps an example to share is the idea of a defense mechanism, almost like an armor. And, you know, when we're wearing armor, it without doubt protects us. It means that we're not going to get stabbed or shot or, you know, mortally injured. Yet if we wear our armor all the time, it does get really, really heavy. It's very hard to be nimble. It's very hard to be agile. It's very hard to, you know, touch and embrace. So um, so a defense mechanism does serve a useful purpose. Um, 
the defense mechanism that's often sort of highlighted as the kind of good one to have is um, sublimation, where we turn our pain and our suffering into something that's creative and um, effective. So you might think of uh, a poet um, or an artist or somebody who use their, uses their experiences of trauma to um, share creatively with the world. So in that way, it's a very healthy way to process the anguish that you've had in your life and you know then it's as you say it's not it's not a bad thing it's something we're all engaged in um constantly um so um so it's not a negative but i think where it interferes with relationships where it means we don't take up opportunities where we for example uh unable to face failure because we're too afraid of the fact that that will mean we're not good enough, that we're um, we're a sort of a, a less than individual. On those occasions, it's worth looking at those defense mechanisms um, and thinking, right, do I always rationalize or intellectualize things because it's easier for me to bear that than to actually face the possibility that... Um, I wasn't liked or my idea wasn't as good as someone else's or um, they didn't want me, you know, that, that's, Mm. um, you know, that, that takes, you know, some courage to say, you know, they didn't want me, but it's okay. You know, others might. (laughs) (laughs) And so people might be listening to it right now and and already people, things are popping into their heads, their own defense Mm. mechanisms. I think, Oh yeah, I do that. I Mm. do a bit of denial. I do a bit of displacement. Um, how can we, is there a process or is it through a coach or how can we ourselves Mm. identify those, uh, defense mechanisms? And then how do we, I suppose, stop doing them if they're causing us damage, carrying Mm. this armor around and make it more effective as, as, as individuals? Mm. Well, I think, you know, having a, um, a safe space to process these patterns of behavior is useful, whether that's in therapy, whether that's with a coach, or indeed, if you don't have access to that kind of resource, journaling and recording what's going on, perhaps finding, um, you know, a way to actually attend to and notice what's happening. Mm. That's always very useful. Um, And there will be times when you become more aware of um, a particular pattern than others. You know, perhaps you might be in a vulnerable state because of bereavement or your mental health or because, you know, you're working in an environment where your job is not secure or you perhaps have got relationship difficulties. So, So there are moments where it becomes, you know, more prominent. But there's nothing that um, beats just taking time to consider yourself, you know, consider the data that surrounds you, what you said, how you're experienced, what what things you tend mm. to do at times of crisis. And, um, and of course, um, having someone to talk that through who um, you trust and you feel safe with is, of course, um, a wonderful asset. And, and, if, and if, say, I, mean, I know for myself, and I've noticed over the years, and certainly been a coach becoming more <clears throat> aware and attuned to myself you know i had that sort of sort of displacement where you sort of have a bad 
day conversation and I've almost been halfway through that defense mechanism of sort of onto somebody else and I realized and I've almost then just physically stopped myself to do it oh, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I've identified oh, okay I, I'm, I'm just sharing and then I've turned it around and I've shared actually I'm feeling a bit rubbish about this da, da, da. and rather than putting it on them I'm just I share it as in because it's good to share obviously so how how can what what tips have you found with your clients with yourself even to how to sort of not only notice it, but you obviously that, and then, but actually, how do I stop it? How do I change it? This sort of almost like a habit, really, of of who I've been for many years. There's hmm. a lovely example you gave of that kind of stall that you do. That say, "Hang on, I can see what I'm about to do," but instead, what I'm going to do is say, "I'm struggling with this," or "I've had a bad day," or "This has happened," and so I'm feeling a bit sensitive. Um, you know, as far as my my personal experiences, I'm a retired perfectionist. I used to think that I had to get everything right, that every conversation had to be, you know, enlightening and, you know, that the other person had to think that I was the most sparkling person in the room, which is absolutely exhausting. And um, and that comes from a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a defense mechanism, which is you know, almost kind of turning in on yourself. You're not good enough. You know, in order to be loved, you have to be perfect. Um, so I think that recognizing that has been, you know, first, firstly, deeply liberating for me um, and probably, you know, much less exhausting for my um conversational partners who are having <laughs> this sort of barrage of attention from me. Um, but uh, at work and in coaching relationships and working with teams, it's about bringing to the fore um, those things that we're doing and being able to identify it. So, you know, I, you know, when I work with groups as opposed to individuals, it's about asking the questions, you know, how do you in this organization deal with people who make a mistake? How do you deal with things when they go wrong um and then hearing from you know participants about what's effective for them but also allowing um individuals to hear from each other about what they find difficult about the way one or other of them behaves um and um that's always a challenge yeah and you say doing that sort of team environment actually hearing other people's perspective is quite um well, not just enlightening, but it's, it's powerful because mm. people don't understand where people are coming from, realize why they do and might do things or have a thinking on something that that's very different to yours. Um, this is a fascinating conversation, uh, Susan, in terms of understanding a bit more of our unconscious, but also those defense mechanisms, which I think we all play into. Uh, and it's I think it's in key to identify those and obviously then look at ways of uh, of, of of changing them um and sort of being just the awareness things helps massively if people want to sort of connect with you and get in touch with you what, what's the best way of doing that well i'd be delighted to hear from people if they want to connect on connect on linkedin or if they want to follow me on instagram at dr susan khan and i'll share i do share material and thoughts around um this um position of taking a more holistic view of an organization and the individuals that um hope to thrive within those um institutions thanks for your time today susan really appreciate it lovely to talk to you 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.